Welcome to the Grazing Grass Podcast, episode 37. Started in on a book or a, a podcast and, you know, as you said earlier, ended up way steep in grass. And um, so, you know, it, taking that, taking those, you know, whatever you learned, whatever got you excited and, and going out and trying it, um, get started, do something and, and see what happens. You're listening to the Grazing Grass Podcast, helping grass farmers learn from grass farmers and every episode features a grass farmer and their operation. I'm your host, Cal Hardage. On today's show, we have Jared Fry of CNF Farms. CNF Farms is a third-generational family farm where things have changed a lot over the years, but they've always taken pride in feeding their community. However, before we talk to Jared, can you do me a favor? Go to grazinggrass.com. And sign up for our email list. We are busy working to improve the website and make it more useful for the community. Also, you may have noticed the slight absence. We took the month of August off and we are very excited to be back. Let's talk to Jared. Jared, welcome to the Grazing Grass Podcast. We're excited to have you on today. Thanks, Cal. I uh, appreciate you having me on. I'm looking forward to it. Jared, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your operation? Sure. Um, so I like to say uh, I'm a third generation farmer, first generation grass farmer. Um, we, uh, I grew up on this farm. My grandfather started it back in the 40s and um, later, uh, later on my mom took over. Um, we, we originally, we, we've done everything from produce to, uh, to crops, grains, um, and then later on, uh, after mom kind of took over, it's gotten more into livestock. Um, and so that's really been the, the focus of it. It was more of a, your standard cow-calf operation. Um, you know, we'd, we'd wean those calves and sell them in the fall. And, and, and that was just the, the, the way we'd gone with it. Pretty conventional um, with uh, constant or uh, continuous grazing, I guess. So... Uh, basically, we were fairly conventional, um, had a continuous grazing. Cows were, were had access to all the pasture all the time. So that's kind of the direction we'd been for, for a long time. Um, myself, I actually, after college, uh, moved away for a while, worked a completely different industry. Um, and we recently, in the last couple of years, moved back and um, I started getting more, more involved in the farm. And I really, we kind of started down this path. I wanted to find a way. We, we weren't really profitable. We weren't doing very well. It was more or less sustaining itself, but, but not great. So um, I started looking into uh, grass-fed beef. We'd been eating it ourselves um, and, and started, you know, exploring what it, what it meant and, and what it took to, to get that. Because, um, you know, I thought, well, we've got cows. They're eating grass we're good. Um, and, and that was when I started reading some of the names we all know now, you know, the Greg Judy's and the, the Joel Salatins and Gabe Brown's and, um, really started digging into the, the soil health of it all and, uh, and what that meant. About how long ago was that? Um, gosh, I started picking that up. It was about two years ago. Oh yeah. That I really started digging into the details and the research. Um, and, and man, I got hooked. 
And it was like, this is cool. And, you know, just the, the things we can do with that. And all right, if we don't let them in everywhere and, um, you know, uh, start, started rotating. And so, um, that just kind of started us down this path. So it sounds like once you got hooked and you got hooked pretty quick and, and I have to confess, I think that happens to a lot of people. You, <laughs> you stumble onto this and then before you know it, you're knee deep in grass, which is a good thing. That's right. So, so you started, um, diving deep into it. How quickly did you decide, Hey, I need to go buy some polywire. I need to do something different. Oh, I, I think I was ready to buy some before I got through the first book. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> I was, I was ready to go. Um, of course there were, you know, with the way we were set up at the time, there were, there was a little bit more infrastructure needed to get in place before we could really go full bore. But, um, I don't think it was, it wasn't, but a couple of months after that, I was, I was ready to go. I had stuff on order and we were, we were going to start experimenting with little bits of it. Oh, very good. So what was your first step to get started? But so I guess actually when I say first step, it, your first step being exposed, reading the books, what was your next step to really get going? Uh, so next step was really just figuring out, uh, you know, looking at the land we had and, and looking at, we converted an old hay field to pasture and, uh, you know, starting to get some of the the, the fencing setup so that we could start rotating cows. And, and initially we really just, it was me and a solar charger and some poly braid and uh step in posts and just making paddocks as we go. Hey, I want to jump on that solar charger for just a second. Did sure. you go down to a local feed store and buy a, a solar charger or did you research and order an, a big high dollar stay fix one? <laughs> I guess they're not stay fixed now. They're. Um... I didn't go down. Uh, didn't get one from the local feed store. I. That was something else that uh, another rabbit hole I ended up down was, the, the proper way I guess you could say of putting in electric fence. Um, we we've had electric fence for a long time on the farm. We used to use it around crops some and all, but never seemed to work. We never got much charge. So, I I started really digging into that, and that's where um, I I found that you know we were we had a few things we weren't doing quite right there. So, uh, no, I ended up ordering a, uh, a one jewel solar charger. Um, it was the biggest one that was available at the time. Um, just to, the, the stock availability. So ordered that and, uh, you know, got, got myself a really big ground rod and some, some poly braid and went to it. Very good. I, I think so many of us has been, have that background where we've been exposed to electric fences but they just haven't worked very good. Mm -hmm. And um, getting that big energizer for me and then getting it grounded appropriately. You know, years ago, well, all we did, we'd buy a little cheap solar charger at the local feed store and we'd set it on top of a T-post, hope it was aimed right, oh. and run some wire. Absolutely. And if we grounded it, we grounded it to that T-post, you know, that's painted. <laughs> uh-huh. And wasn't making a good connection. Or a, or an eight-inch piece of rebar we drove in about six inches. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I do think some of those um, cheap ones can really be improved by grounding. Mm -hmm. In fact, I visited a farm here locally, and I was surprised to find he was just using a, I think, a .16 Joule charger 
which was working for him. Yeah. And that's the important thing whenever we talk about any of these practices. If it's working for you, do it. That's right. If it's not, find out what will work. That's right. But for me, I've needed those bigger chargers. It makes my cows stay where they're <laughs> supposed to be a lot better. Yeah, it makes me feel better about it, for sure. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you got a, a charger and some posts and you started rotating. Did you immediately jump off the cliff into daily rotations? Or did you do a little bit just to kind of get your feet, dip your toe into it, get your feet wet? So initially we did, uh, I think we were doing two day, twi- uh, every two days. Oh, yes. Um, and then once we kind of got the hang of it, we did go to daily. Um, so we're we're still working through that, doing most of the time we're doing daily moves, uh, you know. Uh, every now and then life gets the better of us and, and we just have to put them in a little bit bigger area and give them that extra day or two there. But uh, for the most part, we're, we're trying to stick to the daily moves. I, I completely understand. Uh, for listeners out there, Jared and I was talking before we got started, this has been quite a busy week for me. And I'll be honest, I can't say much about daily moves this week because I gave my, I knew this week was going to be a crazy week. I gave my cows a bigger paddock. And said, "I'll see you in a couple of days." There you go. There you go. You gotta, you gotta make it, make it work for you. It, right. That's the great thing about, uh, you know, we talk about daily moves or, or really looking at the whole picture and figuring out what's going to work there. What's your goals? There's times you don't have the time to do those moves, even as quick as they can be, in places. So it really gives you a lot of flexibility with that. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, adapt to to what's happening around you. Exactly right. Exactly. How'd your cows respond to the the start on rotational grazing? So I think at first they were a little confused. Um, just just going from that uh, continuous grazing, having wherever they wanted to go, whenever. Um, yeah, they're like, "Why is he out here?" Again? <laughs> right, right. I don't. We we don't need to see you again now. Um, <laughs> but. Uh, they they pretty quickly got the hang of it. I think uh, after that, it was probably after that first week. I mean, they they could knew where the reel was, and they would be the in the morning. They'd be up there by the reel, waiting, ready to go. So um, the the biggest challenge after they they kind of warmed up to it was uh, moving from from paddock to paddock in where we were going through a gate opening. They they still don't love the gate openings. Uh, they they, oh, they yes. get a little spooky there, but. Uh, we're we're working through that. So that brings up an interesting question, at least to me. So when you get ready to move your cows through a, a to a new paddock, are you pulling down a lot of fence and letting them go through? Or are you having them walk over? You have them walk underneath. So how do you do those moves? So I've been so to to move uh you know paddock to paddock. We we do roll the wire up. I tried a couple of times letting it down on the ground or you know, the, the raising it up and they just stood there and stared at me like, nope, don't trust it. Well, I've had the same experience. Um, I'm always afraid to lower it because I don't want them to get in the habit of stepping over it, but I'm not exactly sure they would. But I, I've i read, you know, where they, they will um, raise them up and let the cows walk under. And my cows just stood there and looked at me <laughs> and um, so I always roll mine back up mm-hmm. and get them around. But I think that's 
interesting. I know different people do it different ways. And some days I wish my cows would just take the shortcut and go under <laughs> um, when I raise it up rather than walking clear down to the end of the field. I, to, I was going to say, it's always those times that the reel is way too far away. And I'm like, come on, you can do this. You can get under there. And, and it yes. never seems to work out. So um, I always end up doing that walk. It, it really helps you get those 10,000 steps in Abs- a day Absolutely. we're all supposed to get. <laughs> yes. So what kind of cows are you running? And is that what you started with? So we are, yeah, we're still running um, based off the original herd we've had, which is uh, mostly Angus Cross. Um, we do have a couple of, uh, or I guess now we've got one Charlet left in the herd. Oh, yes. Um, so we're, we're using that. As of right now, we're looking to kind of transition that as we get get more and more into this. Um, we bought a uh, a South Pole bull, a yearling South Pole bull, back earlier this year um, that we're we're looking forward to to putting in with the girls um, and and starting to transition towards some of that. How big would you say your cows are right now? Uh, right now, we are on the bigger side. I think. Uh, oh yeah. This, we've got a couple on the smaller, probably 1,200 pounds, um, up to around 1,400. So, oh, yes. um, that's, that's one of our goals there is to start transitioning down into a, a smaller body size. I think given the, the land size we're working with, that, that'll help us a lot. Very good. I know we're on a similar journey and it seems like a lot of people are, of course, you watch the Greg Judy videos and, and you're going to be on that journey. Right. You're, let's, let's get as many of those as we can. Right. Right. Now you mentioned earlier, you took a old hay field um, and then you've been doing continuous grazing. What kind of forages do you have out in your pastures? So our existing pastures are, are mainly fescue. Um, we've got a little bit of clover mixed in um, with, you know, just in a random smattering of uh, other grasses and um, we've got our fair share of weeds and all out there as well. The hay field um, that we, we just converted this year, that uh, again, it's got a lot of fescue. There's some orchard grass. And um, right now in the, the, this time of year, we've got a lot of Johnson grass coming up in that one, um, which I know is a, is a dirty word for a lot of folks, but the, the cows love it, so I, I'm good with grazing it. Well, that's that's kind of my thoughts. And, and I don't know if I've said this on the podcast before. Maybe I have, maybe I haven't. If I if I have, we'll go back there to the go. story again. I love Johnson grass. The amount of foliage it puts out. One of the pastures I have leased is probably mm-hmm. half Johnson grass. And it is just growing great guns yeah. right now. Now, granted, you got to be careful in drought conditions and you got to be careful around um, frost or freezing weather. We had, when I was a kid, it really, it really influenced me. We had a dry year and we had a 10 acre hay meadow across the road. And it was a dry year and dad decided, hey, we're going to graze this hay meadow out. Um, so we put cows over there and, and dad had, you know, 1920 cows, something in that range. Put the cows over there. Three of them died from eating Johnson grass. So, uh, you know, I remember that and I, I think about that when I see the Johnson grass, but I also think about all the right. forage out there. 
and I just try and manage it. I really, I really like it. Everyone else around here is digging yep. it up, spraying it, but I'm out there like <laughs> That's I right. can manage as long as, this. long as you can stay, stay with it, managing it. It's, it's, it's another tool in the tool belt, you know, that's more, more feed. It is that's a good thing. So uh, I, I'm, I'm not going to be digging it up. That's for sure. <laughs> it's, it's a little warm out there right now. <laughs> that's right. Up too. Do you plan on seeding anything in, or are you just going to use your cattle to really manage the pasture or do you have any plans for inputs on that? Um, so so far we've we've kind of just used the the cattle to kind of manage that we did this year um experiment a little bit with uh we broadcasted out a, a summer cover crop mix um i think it was a a seven or eight species mix um and we just broadcast that in front of the cows and kind of let them work it in as they came through a paddock and it's been uh as dry as it's been we d- we haven't seen a lot of results from it um, the one thing that's come up has been uh, sorghum Sudan. We've had a lot of that oh, popping yes. up out of that mix, which um, they have loved. You know, on their their second pass through there, they've they've hammered that. So, um, but yeah, I think for for right now, we do um, plan in the future to to try and uh, convert some of our older pastures and and get the diversity up a little more there. But um, we're just trying to kind of figure out our management and and keep the cows moving through there. Right. And, and not jump in too much with the inputs before you, right. You get going the way you want. Right. Um, interesting thing about the sorghum sedan. I have not used it, but I visited a farm a while back and he took where he rolled out his hay. He spread that on his hay in the spring. And so all his patches that had hay on it, which when he rolled out his hay, his hay was a little bit thicker than when I roll it out. Um, so he was going to have some bare spots there while, you know, that hay decomposed and, and grasses started taking over that. And he spread that sorghum Sundan, Sudan over it. And he had a really nice crop coming up through that hay. I was impressed. In fact, I was thinking, I may <laughs> need to plant some next year. Yep. Yep. We're, we're, we're thinking that's a good one to, uh, to use as a primary cover crop in some of our, our rougher areas because it's uh it seems to be coming up well and they love it so now we talked a, a little bit about uh old hay meta and pasture i'm not sure we we discussed where are you located and what kind of ground do you have there um so we're in uh southwest virginia um we're just in uh bon, uh we we're in bonsack virginia which is a little area right outside of roanoke and we are, uh, I guess you'd say light rolling hills. Um, oh, we yes. do have, uh, we do have some flat spots, but most everything has some angle to it. Um, but nothing, oh, nothing yes. too steep. We're not up into the, the West Virginia mountains or anything like that. So, um, not, not too bad to work with. Oh, very good. Do you have a, a lot of rock in your ground? Yes. Near the surface? <laughs> there is a, yes. there is a good bit of rock there. Um, I know, yeah. I know sometimes putting, uh, putting step in posts out, I'll try about six times before I can get it in more than two <laughs> inches. Cause there's a, there's a rock there, there and there, but, uh, Oh yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, I do understand that. <laughs> now are you finding as you rotationally graze? So, um, last year was your first year rotationally graze. Mm-hmm. 
and you're doing it this year. Have you seen more forage available? I mean, of course, everything we read, yeah, you should have more forage by rotational grazing. And you're going to look out there and you're going to say, hey, there's got to be more forage because I'm rotationally grazing. But it's um, supposed to just happen. have you really noticed that? Um, it's funny. We have noticed it in this this year. Um, we've noticed it a lot in the the hay, uh, the old hay field that we converted. Oh, um, yes. That has just bounced right back um, after after grazing. Um, I think a lot of our other paddocks are still in their recovery from, from their continuous grazing days. Oh yeah. And this has been a pretty dry year for us. So a lot of those haven't bounced back nearly as quick. Um, but I, I think we are seeing, we're seeing a good impact just with, uh, you know, with them working through some of the weed control, um, you know, and I think through some of this, we're finding the cows will eat things we never thought they would too, which is, which has been fun oh, to watch. Yeah. It's always great to turn them into some ragweed and <laughs> watch them just strip those ragweed stems down to nothing. Oh yeah. We, uh, we have one hillside that was just covered in, uh, in cockleburr plants. And, oh yes. So I went through there, uh, earlier this year, I, I broadcast that, that cover crop mix and I, I'm just going to turn them in here, keep them nice and tight, let them stomp it all in you know they, they won't be here long we'll have to move them on get them some grass because they're and uh so we turned them in and i came back in a couple hours to check on them make expecting to to move them on get them some grass they were all laid down chewing their cud happy as could be they'd stripped every one of those plants down they I <laughs> oh, yes. said okay <laughs> yeah that's yeah it's it's i love seeing cockaburs stripped down like mm-hmm. that ragweed any of those yeah now, when you started um, rotationally grazing, you mentioned a little bit of infrastructure, and that that brings us to water. Do you have enough natural water to water your animals, or how are you doing that? So initially, when we uh, we started out, we're everything's coming off of uh, a well there at the farm, and um, we we have a few hydrants and water points set up from, uh, from back when we did vegetable crops. Um, so initially oh, yes. we were, uh, cause with the continuous grazing, they always had access to creeks, streams, you know, whatever the, the pond on the farm. Um, but with this, I wanted to start kind of restricting that, keeping them out of there. Um, so we, we ended up just running a lot of garden hose, um, out to, to tanks with a, with a float valve to, to get water wherever we needed it. This year, we actually, uh, we were able to get a grant through the local soil and water district. Um, oh, yes. so we, we are in the process. We've gotten most of the work done. We're, we're still working through, um, getting some, some waterers and some extra, uh, water points set up, um, and a little, uh, boundary fencing to keep them out of those creeks, which has helped a lot with just being able to, uh, it's, it's helped me manage moves a lot easier. It's a lot, a lot less, a lot less polybraid to run out, not dragging hose around. Oh yes. Imagine. So as we move through summer, fall will be here quick. And then we'll be looking at winter feeding. What's your plan there? Have you bailed hay? Are you going to stockpile? So we, uh, we do still make our own hay. Um, we've, 
we've got some leased ground nearby that we uh we've always made hay on and so we're we're still doing that um my my goal is every year to reduce the amount we need a little bit so i i do anticipate uh still needing some hay this year um but luckily we're we're not taking it off our own land anymore we're, we're able to bring that in from there so I would like to stockpile some, um, given we've got so much fescue. I, I think we're we're set up for that. Oh yes, we. I'm I'm hoping for a wet fall to help get to that. Um, <laughs> right now we're uh, the grass is a little thin there, but uh, we'll see. I think uh, I think we've got we're we're working on a plan there with with hopefully a couple paddocks we're we're keeping them out of, and then with our hay stockpile, I think we'll we'll be able to get through it. Very good. I think that's a great plan, and hopefully you get nice fall rains because that can really affect your amount you stockpile. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We've got our fingers crossed. Now, on your cattle, I'm jumping back just a little bit sure. to your cattle. Um, you'd mentioned earlier on you kept in the spring and sold them in the fall. Is that something you're continuing to do? Have you changed your calving season any? We have not, uh, no, we haven't changed our calving season really, although we're, it was really only, gosh, it's been only a couple of years ago now um, that we started pulling the bull at certain times oh, of the year. Yes. So we, we really, he ran with the herd year round um, for for the longest time. And so we've, we've really started trying to narrow that down and get into a specific calving season. But we're, for now, we're still, uh, still doing mostly uh, spring calving. So you've been on this journey just a couple of years, but what challenges have you, have you really found in trying to go this way? Um, I think one of the, one of the first challenges I didn't expect, um, was, uh, the need for shade. And when, oh, yes. you know, when I'm, I'm creating those paddocks and that's a, you know, shade when they were, when they were out and had access to the whole paddock, you know, they, of course, wandered to wherever they needed for shade. And, and once I'm, I've got them in my, my specific paddocks and we're, we're moving them about, I had to uh, put a lot more thought into access to shade. Um, and I was surprised at how little we had um, in, in a lot of our places, or a lot of our paddocks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that, that's one that we've, uh, we had to address I wasn't expecting. So do you have a plan for growing more shade? So... For, for right now, we just, uh, we're using sort of a mobile shade setup um, that, you know, oh, a, yes. a hay wagon type setup um, where we need it. There's most of the areas I can uh, finagle some some wire around and get them, get them some trees to, to hide under for a little bit. We were actually just talking the other day, uh, now that we've got some of our fencing in and some of that worked out, uh, starting to plant some trees, uh, maybe in a few select areas. So hopefully in a few years, we've got a little more uh, shade to work with. Oh, yes. Yeah. Now, in addition to your cattle, do you run any other livestock on your farm? So we do. Uh, we also do uh, pastured uh, pork. Um, so we run hogs. Um, right now, they're, uh, they're enjoying an old uh, retired apple orchard uh, that uh, we've, we've set up for them. So um, yeah, we're, we're running hogs, um, sort of adjacent to our cattle. Oh, yes. And are you rotationally or are you moving them or they're pre-stationary? Uh, yeah, we are moving them. 
Um, we we set up, uh, gosh, I, don't, I forget how many paddocks now, but we've got quite a few paddocks run through that orchard and some uh, a little bit of adjoining pasture off of that. And so we try and move them uh, every every seven to fourteen days, probably, um, just depending oh, yeah. on how big a mess they're making where they are tearing tearing <laughs> through it. Uh, we we try and keep them moving. Now, for your pigs, do you have sows and boars, or are you buying uh, feeder pigs and growing them out? Right now, we're just uh, buying feeders and and growing oh, those yes. out. How long have you been doing the pasture pork side? Um, this is our first year with the with the pigs, um, so we're we're on our second group now. Oh yes, and so are you enjoying it? How how you feel it's going? Um, well, I think it's going really well. And I was surprised, honestly, at how big a hit that uh, that the hogs were. I know, so my mom helps a lot. We we farm together still, and she helps a lot. And uh, when we first we got our first group of pigs, um, she she almost just stayed over there at the pig paddocks watching them. She goes, "They're just so <laughs> oh, yeah. cool to watch." And uh, <laughs> we we joked that uh, if uh, if we could never find mom. Go check the pig paddock. She's probably got a lounge chair and a beer over there, just watching the pigs play. <laughs> and so that uh, and that continues uh, even with the second group. We still everybody comes comes to see the pigs. So oh yes, uh, no, but but no, they're they're going really well. Um, uh, we we've got them. We keep them in high tensile electric also, and um, they once we kind of get them trained to that, they that and the moves um honestly they they just kind of go right along with it and have been uh have been a lot of fun so far let's talk about that training bit when you buy those feeder pigs in how do you train them to a hot wire so we have uh we'll, we'll call it our first paddock there we've got a little area set up where we just took uh some t-posts and hog panels um so we had had a, a hard area for them there um and then ran a, a hot wire along the inside of it. Um, and uh, we've got, you know, our two gates in and out there. Um, so they've got their, their safe space to go to. Um, and we, we turn them in there and uh, let, them, let them hang out for about a week, week and a half, depending on how quick a learning they are. And um, yeah, they, they, they pick it up pretty quick. They're pretty smart animals, so yeah, yeah, and we we try to keep the the fence fairly hot, um, especially yes. during training because that that helps them, you know, rein, reinforce that, and then then later on they don't they don't test it nearly as much. Oh yes, now do you use the same energizer for your cattle and for your pigs, or do you have separate energizers? Um, I have separate energizers for those. Um, they're Right now they're far enough apart, um, yes. that, that it was just logistically a lot easier to do. Uh, oh two, yeah, two separate energizers, and, and that makes sense. And I could even see them being close together. You might want to keep them separate, just kind of as a fail safe. But right, yeah, makes sense. Now, what's some challenges you've experienced this year with your hogs? I would say, let's see, <laughs> the. Uh, where they are so the two things that we've run across so far where they are this apple orchard is actually one of the steeper areas that we've got so oh uh, yes you know we we have a a large feeder we keep in there um and the uh, use a large tank waterer 
And so when we do the moves, dragging those from paddock to paddock, um, it can be a little treacherous at times. They, they tend to want to, you're, you're pulling them along. You can just see them leaning and leaning. It's like, we're gonna, are we going to make it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, uh, dealing with that terrain. Um, and then, uh, I think the, the, you know, the other thing that we ran into with our first batch, we did have one right, uh, right before we were getting ready to take her off. Um, and we don't know if it was playing or, or the, the terrain and the, the hill country, but she, uh, she did, uh, she broke her back leg. Um, oh no. So that was, you know, always a tough thing to, to deal with, but, uh, oh yes. Um, you know, I, I think otherwise they've been fairly easy. We only had one get out. Um, we still aren't sure how that happened. Um, <laughs> she, she managed to make it, uh, uh you know, a couple couple thousand yards down the down the road luckily we live at the end of the road um and my oh my, yes my cousin called and said uh you got a pig down here <laughs> <laughs> and and we we managed to get her back up mom mom went down and drove drove the car down and said come on pig pig and up the road she went with her um and we we got her back in we walked that fence we have no idea how she got out uh we, oh, we, yeah. we never found a hole or anything anything that looked like it'd been <laughs> roughed up but so they've they've so far, you know, knock on wood, they've they've done really well. Very good, very good. How are you marketing your beef, and how are you marketing your pasture pork? Um, so we currently are selling uh, mainly through our website. We've got a website set up, and uh, we do uh, pickup locations each week. Um, so you place your order and. and pick select where you'd like to pick it up and then uh we'll meet you there with your order um we've also we're, we're working on getting into a few of the local farmers markets um to do that we've we've been at a couple of uh different more i guess pop-up style markets um and done oh, some yes. of the, the local fairs and different things so um and then uh i think next week actually we're going to be uh we're getting a freezer in a, a local retail place here that uh hoping to to set that up and, and start selling some product through there, which will be, I think that'll be really good. Oh, very good. Yeah. Where do you see your farm going in the next few years or where do you hope it goes? Um, well, I'm really hoping to uh, do a couple of things. I'd like to expand our, our footprint a little bit. Um, there's some uh, adjacent land that uh, I'm hoping to, to get onto and, and, work into our grazing rotation um, and and just kind of expand that and allow us to hopefully uh, expand the herd a little bit and, and continue to grow that. And then I think probably more, more a couple years down the road, um, we're, we're really looking to kind of start stacking more enterprises on the land that we've got. Um, you know, we might, we've, we've talked about adding a form of pastured poultry or, or something else there. I think, uh, you know, getting some more diversity and, and adding to what we've already got uh, will be another good good next step. Oh, yes. Well, Jared, we've enjoyed hearing about your operation and your story. And it's time we move on to the overgrazing section where we take a deep dive into one of your farm practices or something about your farm. What are we going to talk about today? So I thought, uh, you know, I, I struggled coming up with an idea for this. I wasn't sure where to go. 
And uh, I thought maybe we could talk about uh, adaptability, um, which, you know, maybe a little, little broader and not necessarily a practice, but, um, but it is very important. Absolutely. And, and, you know, as, as I said, you know, as we've talked about, you know, me transitioning our farm from, from the, the more of the conventional basis and getting into more grass farming, um, you know, there's, like I said, when I first researched it, I thought, well, we've got cows and we've got grass, we can do this. Um, and then of course, you know, that's when you start down the first rabbit hole and, and there's so many challenges that will pop up and, uh, you know, you want to, I found myself initially, you know, you want to fix uh, the, the paddocks or these squares here. And so we're going to do this and we're going to do, do it in this order. And, you know, whether it's mother nature or the cows or there's always something that's going to throw that, that wrench in your, uh, in your formula. And so, uh, you know, uh, I think being adaptable, um, it's really important. Um, I think to be successful, you got to be able to, to think quickly, think on your feet. Um, and, and try your best not to get, uh, get stuck into, you know, the idea that you planted in your head, reading that book. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that's one, one challenge I had as well was reading the books or listening to podcasts or or different things. And you hear, you know, folks doing operations much larger than mine, or, you know, the guys, you know, Gabe Brown, who's obviously wildly successful at it by now. And, you know, all right, I'm going to do it just like that. And my operation, my land base, my, there's so many things about mine that aren't like any of theirs. Um, and just being able to, to think, okay, but what was their, what was the goal? What, what do I really want to get out of that? So how do I change that and adapt the principle of it and what they're trying, you know, what they're actually doing and, and make that into something that, uh, you know, that'll work for me so I can get the, the, the end goal that I want out of it. I think you bring up some wonderful points there. Um, we talk to a lot of producers on this podcast, and there's a lot of overlapping themes that, that we discuss. A lot of my questions are the same, but everyone's doing it just a little bit different. Everyone's farms a little bit different. And there's not just a recipe that you go out and you add three rows of polywire and two stock tanks and you're good to go. You know, it really depends on what you're working with. And then as you get started, be prepared to change because, well, this year it didn't rain as much. So we're going to have to change this or we got more water. Now it's wet and I can't graze where I want it to graze. (laughs) You you just got to have that goal in mind. And be ready to adapt to whatever Mother Nature throws at you, whatever the livestock decide to do. So many things, but adaptability is a important uh, characteristic, in my opinion. Absolutely, and and it's tough. I mean, you see, you see so many great examples, and you know, you see these these operations, and you're like, ah, man, that's what I want to be doing, you know. And um, you know, you gotta you gotta be careful and not get get stuck into a, you know, well, well, why am I not looking like X, Y, or Z over there? And, you know, uh, long as you're, you're, you're making improvements and you're, you're doing the best you can with it. Uh, you know, you're, you're on the right track. So, you know, adapt it and, and make it work for you. 
I hate to even bring this up because we've already mentioned Greg Judy a couple times. <laughs> but one of his videos this other day, which I thought was a really good video, he was talking about he had put up the paddocks with high tensile wire um, because he's working off the farm and he needed it easy to do. And then when he got a little bit bigger, he just continued doing that. And then one of it, I think one of his first interns um, was like, why, why do you have these wires? You know, we're, we're sending the cows through, we've got trails going through every gate. It's, and they went through and tore those all out and changed the way he was doing it. I think that's a great example built example of that adaptability or flexibility at, and consider what you're doing because as I work off the farm and I come home to do something, my ability or even uh, desire to work on something may be a little less than someone who doesn't have that off the farm job or just even the time commitment and stuff. So, so just look at your own operation and um, figure out what works. Try it. Right. Exactly. It, you, it's one of those things you, you gotta, you gotta just try it at some point and maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, but right. you'll never know until you try. And once you do, you can, if it works great, if not, you, you adapt and you change. Yes, exactly. It kind of goes back to, uh, to what we were saying about the, the paddock sizes. Sometimes, you know, you're, you're going to have a, a heck of a week this week or, you know, something's going to keep you from getting to it for a day or two. So maybe you want to do daily moves, but you, you just got to do, you know, a three day move or a four day move, whatever, whatever it needs to be so that uh, you're able to, to keep going with whatever else you got going on. So, right. Yes. Well, thank you, Jared, for that um, discussing adaptability. Let's move on to our famous four. Same four questions we ask of every guest. So our very first question, what's your favorite grazing grass related book or resource? Well, I know you mentioned a lot of overlap, so, you know, I'm going to probably end up doing that. Um, that, cause that's a, that's a tough one. I think, uh, you know, we mentioned we've read all the books. I think right now, probably one of my, uh, biggest things is podcasts. Um, I've, I've found myself spending a lot of time in the truck lately. Um, you know, so I got a lot of time to listen and I'm, I'm getting a lot more exposure to, uh, to different groups, different mindsets and different things that, um, have been really, really beneficial, I think. So I, I think those have helped me a lot just to even spark ideas that'll get me going down a, a yet another rabbit hole. But, um, you know, it, I think those have been right now probably my most used thing it seems to me we're having a boom in podcasts which are exciting to have all these different ones i know um we'll start with this podcast first because i'm here talking about it um the grazing grass <laughs> you know we try and focus on talking to producers and what they're doing on on their land and, and their operation their practices and you've got Ranching Reboot that's doing stuff. You've got the Herd Quitter podcast talking more experts and stuff. You got the old guard of working cows going on. Uh, there's roots and ruminants out there. I'm trying to think. I'm sure I'll miss some. You got the Shepherdess at Harmony Farms that does a podcast. Um, mm -hmm. And 
Eli Mack that was on one of our early episodes just released a pilot for his called the Pennsylvania uh, Grazier. Um, so be sure and check that one out. I think it'll be great. Eli's a great uh, advocate for regenerative and holistic management. And he's talking about his journey as well as he's planning on having some people in there to um, talk about just to gain some knowledge in different areas. And I'm sure I left some more out, but I just think all those podcasts are wonderful because who knows, you may not like listening to me. There's someone else out there you may <laughs> like listening to. And, right, right. Or if you don't like the, the topics on oh, yeah, you can still stay within regenerative and yeah. listen to another. I, and I think yeah, all of those podcasts I list, I mentioned, I subscribe to. I will not say I listen yep. to them all because I've got a set number of hours. But I do pay attention <laughs> to what topics are on there. And, you know, the the um, uh, Herd Quitter podcast had Wally Olson on there, which... He was on there for two episodes. Yes. Wally's a local guy that I know, um, but I was just really impressed with what um, Wally had to say. There's there's so much out there. So I think podcast yeah. is a right, or to me, of course, I'm doing a podcast, so maybe I shouldn't say this, but podcasts are a rising <laughs> right. resource that's really coming out there and available for you to to binge listen to. Yep. No, I would, I would totally agree. I, I'm in a lot of the, the regenerative uh, Facebook groups and I always, you know, periodically you'll see the, you know, request for what are you guys listening to? And I always check those out because, you know, there's a lot of repeats, but there's always at least a couple in there that I haven't oh, yes. or, or heard yet. So yeah. I'm always looking for some new ones. I, I do have a downside to podcasts and I'll go ahead and put this out there in case other people experience this. <laughs> Um, I love listening to podcasts whenever I drive somewhere. The downside is my wife will not listen to them. She's like, nope, we're not listening to another <laughs> grass-based podcast. But that that may just be me. <laughs> <laughs> nope, I don't, I don't think you're, you're solely alone on that. <laughs> Before I get in trouble for that topic, let's move on to question number two. All right. What tool could you not live without on your farm? So this one's definitely a repeat, um, but my uh, Energizer remote. <laughs> um, that, that sucker stays in my back pocket all day. Um, I, I fully understand that. Yeah, my solar Energizer doesn't have a, a remote on it. So when I was using that a lot more, that and then I started using one with a remote, I was like, oh, I've got to get out of this. Uh, I need the one with the remote, man. It, it comes in handy everywhere. I I'm in the same boat. I have a solar um, charger, and it's it works great. It's enough joules, but it doesn't have a remote. Mm -hmm. So I am thinking about changing that out because I love that remote. Absolutely. Our third question: What do you know now that you wish you knew when you began, or what would you tell someone just starting out on this grass journey? So I think. Uh, one of the biggest things, obviously, I mean, if you're, if you're starting out on the journey, you've probably done like the rest of us and started in on a book or a, a podcast. And, you know, as you said earlier, ended up waist deep in grass. And, um, so, you know, it, taking that, taking those, you know, whatever you learned, whatever got you excited and, and going out and trying it, um, get started, do something and, and see what happens. Um, and then if you can find, 
uh, you know, find somebody local that you could drive to that's doing something like or similar to what you're doing. Um, I know there's a guy 45 minutes from here in Blacksburg that uh, I kind of happened upon through a Facebook group and I ended up at his farm uh, a couple of times now. And, uh, you know, just, just in talking with him, I've learned a lot about this already. Just, you know, some different, different techniques, different things. Um, so just in a couple conversations and we still stay in touch. So, uh, you know, reach out and, and try and make some of those connections too. Excellent advice. Get started and network. Both so important. And Jared, where can others find out more about you? So um, you can find us on our website at uh, it's cffarms.org. Um, we're also on uh, Facebook and Instagram. Uh, so CF Farms on uh, either of those platforms. And um, you can also, I mean, I'm open to, to anybody reaching out. You can shoot me an email. You can get that through the website or send me a message on any social media. Um, always, always love to talk. So Wonderful. Jared, we appreciate you coming on and sharing. Did a wonderful job, and, and I think it'll be greatly valuable to our listeners to hear about your journey. Well, thanks, Kyle. I appreciate it. I, I really enjoyed it. This was fun. Another podcast I just received an email about today is the Fat Cows Fat Wallet podcast with Jim Elizondo. Jim was on episode 13 of the Grazing Grass podcast. I haven't listened to it yet, but I plan to listen soon. I am sure it'll be very informational and a great podcast to subscribe to. You're listening to the Grazing Grass Podcast, helping grass farmers learn from grass farmers. And every episode features a grass farmer and their operation. You can find the Grazing Grass Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we encourage you to share our posts with others when you find an episode valuable. We appreciate you sharing about our podcast. Are you a grass farmer? Would you be interesting sharing about your journey and what you're doing on your operation? Go to grazinggrass.com, click on Be Our Guest link and fill out the information and we'll be in touch. Until next time, keep on grazing grass. I really hope you enjoyed today's conversation. I know I did. Thank you for listening. And if you found something useful, please share it. Share it on your social media. Tell your friends. Get the word out about the podcast. Helps us grow. If you happen to be a grass farmer and you'd like to share about your journey, go to grazinggrass.com and click on Be Our Guest. Fill out the form and I'll be in touch. We appreciate your support by sharing our episodes and telling your friends about it. You can also support our show by buying our merch. We get a little bit back from that. Another way to support the show is by becoming a Grazing Grass Insider. Grazing Grass Insiders enjoy bonus content, monthly Zooms, and discounts. You can visit the website, grazinggrass.com, click on support, and they'll have the links there. Also, if you haven't left us a review, please do. It really helps us as people are searching for podcasts. And I was just checking them 
and we do not have very many reviews for 2024. So if you haven't left us a review, please do. Until next time, keep on grazing grass.